Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim and every week I'll be bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. This week we're talking eccentric cartoon families as we put the wild thornberries up against the fairly odd parents. And we take a special look at the Jetsons, the cartoon that made viewers look at the future in a completely different way. So let's get started. And joining me as ever it's producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? I'm alright, thanks. I'm alright, thanks. How are you? Uh, yeah, getting there. We're getting there. We're out of your rose, but we're getting there. Uh, uh, heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak. Yeah, lots of positives. A few yeah. negatives, but yeah, I mean, looking forward to the World Cup next year now. I'm not going to have people going, oh, it's the same old England, the same old England. This is a completely oh, it's a new thing. different I mean, England. I mean, if I had one criticism, I'd say I'd ban the hop, skippy, jumpy penalties. Apart from that, I think we did really well. Well, I think that's to put off the goalkeepers. But then Jordan Pickford wasn't put off by that. No, I mean, like for, for Rashford. And then um, I think the trick is, though, to, if you've got to put off the keeper and put it in the net, I think that's, that's the trick. Um, well, you've got, to, you've got to con the goalkeeper first. If the goalkeeper doesn't move, then he knows exactly where you're going. But then if you're... But then if he's waiting for you to move and you do the hop skip, then that's an advantage to the attacker. I'm, there's, 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 there's nothing no, totally I, I, wrong with that. I, I completely disagree. I think you should do a Harry Kane penalty where the keeper goes the right way, the right height, and he still scores. Well, I think, yeah, that's, that's a way to get advantage, isn't it? You can't, nobody just takes penalties anymore like Harry Kane or Harry Maguire did. You're not going to just welly the ball and... I think Hope for the best. I think that's the only way. Well, they should change the whole format. It should be because keepers can obviously kick the ball probably the hardest on the pitch, right? I think that's uh, that's a thing. So I reckon it should be keeper on keeper, right? The keeper has to save it. The keeper has to shoot, and it should just be that until they get as many goals as they need, right? That'd be quite a good format. That's terrible. That's a <laughs> terrible idea. That is the worst idea ever. But no, this this England team fills me with hope and and pride and everything that that goes with it. I really hope we kind of keep Southgate as well. I think Southgate has done a tremendous job in actually making England a team worth watching. I think he's a good man-manager. Tactics, I'm a bit unconvinced. I think there's so many things he did wrong in the final. No, I, I, but I think so too. But I do I think... think that we've made enough progress where in the World Cup we were fourth, Nations League were third, Euros were second. There is progress. So I do think he deserves one more shot. But I do think with the weapons that you have, you need to utilize them better. We have some of the best young attacking players in world football and you're not using them. Yeah, I'm going to have a problem with that. And you're waiting too long for substitutions. Yeah, that Grealish substitution, I have to say, I was I was hoping would happen at least 15 minutes earlier. Um, I thought that, that... I think the game could have been won in normal time and in extra time as well. I think... Took too long with the substitutions, left players on there who shouldn't have been left on there. And yeah, I mean, in terms of him as a human being, he is exceptional, wonderful. He has done such a good job. And I think he's earned enough good points and good, um, like, um, how do you say? Like, he's, he's like got good graces where it's like, okay, I, I deserve another shot. But my thing is, if you've got people like Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, all ready to be like ready to come on and play, then you use them. Jack Grealish as well, you mentioned 
You've got him sitting on the bench. This don't 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 you don't leave your thoroughbred on the track like on the back of the the thing, whatever they call it. You let you let them loose, and you've got to make the substitution. I think if you can do that, then do it. And then if you can't, if you're not willing to change, and if you're just going to be pragmatic, like you're coaching Middlesbrough and not the England <laughs> national team with some of the best attackers in world football, then I do think we're going to have to say like, thank you, Gareth, but no. Like we have to, this is like cutthroat. I get it. We made the final. It's amazing. It's great. But I think, yeah, we've got some incredible young players coming through and to not use them in a final. I, yeah. I, have to, yeah, not, I completely agree. It's yeah. not unforgivable, but yeah, I, I yeah, I, 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 I want to see our very best talents playing all the time. So there you go. Right. That's enough football chatter. Uh, we're going to start off with the Jetsons. So this show first came out in September 1962 and some of the things happening in the world. The Soviet Union agrees to send arms to Cuba. President John F. Kennedy at a speech at Rice University reaffirms that the US will put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. Newly independent Algeria adopts a new constitution by referendum. No Man is an Island was in the cinemas and The Locomotion by Little Eva was in the charts. To be fair to Kylie, her version is good, but it, it, it did, it, I don't know. Initially, I thought maybe it stinks of like a white person just taking something off black people, but fair play to Kylie. Her version is good, whatever. She's got everybody doing the stupid little dance, The Locomotion. I don't know if that's actually. I don't know if she stole the dance moves as well. I just know it from. Like, I think Peter Kay was the one that introduced me to that when he's talking about. Uh, I don't know what he's talking about. I think it's a Blackpool Tower one. Anyway, great. <laughs> the Jetsons. So this was a American animated sitcom produced by Hannah and Barbera Productions. I haven't said that name in a long time. It's been a while. Yeah, I know, right? So while the Flintstones lived in a world which was a comical version of the Stone Age with machine powered by birds and dinosaurs, the Jetsons live in a comical version of a century in the future with elaborate robotic contraptions, aliens, holograms, and whimsical inventions. It was Hannah and Barbera's space age counterpart to the Flintstones. And the series theme song was composed by Hoyt Curtin. He, he was like Hannah and Barbera's go-to guy for like their theme songs. I think he did Top Cat sure he did Flintstones, maybe even Scooby-Doo. The Jetsons debuted as the first program broadcast in colour on ABC, and in contrast, the Flintstone, while always produced in colour, was broadcast in black and white for its first two seasons. And then they decided to do some new episodes from 1985 to 1987 as part of the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbera block. I believe they also brought back uh, Yogi Bear and they did other programs. I think very variations of Scooby-Doo and whatever Hanna-Barbera could come up with. So the Jetsons are a family who reside in Orbit City. The city's architecture is rendered in the Googie style and all homes and businesses are raised high above the ground on adjustable columns. George Jetson lives with his family in the Skypad apartments. His wife, Jane, is a homemaker. Their teenage daughter, Judy, attends Orbit High School and their son Elroy attends Little Dipper School. Housekeeping is seen to by robot maid Rosie, 
which handles chores not otherwise when rendered trivial by the home's numerous push-button space-age envisioned conveniences. The family has a dog named Astro that talks with an initial consonant mutation in which every word begins with an R as if speaking in a growl. A similar effect would be used for Scooby-Doo and every other pet that Hannah and Barbera had on their shows. <laughs> that is exactly what I was talking about when I saw you earlier. <laughs> so yeah, shoehorn it into every single Hannah and Barbera show you've ever seen. Just an animal that can somehow communicate with humans. So George Jetson's work week consists of an hour a day, two days a week. His boss is Cosmo Spacely, the bombastic owner of Spacely Space Sprockets. Spacely has a competitor, Mr. Cogswell, owner of the rival company Cogswell Cogs, sometimes known as Cogswell's Cosmic Cogs. Jetson commutes to work in an aero car with a transparent bubble top. Daily life is leisurely assisted by numerous labor-saving devices, which occasionally break down with humorous results. Despite this, everyone complains of exhausting hard labor and difficulties living with the remaining inconveniences. Animation historian Christopher P. Lehman considers that the series shares its main science fiction theme with Thunderful Suburbia, a modern madcaps animation short. Both feature people involved in space colonization. However, there is a key difference in the nature of the colonization in Thunderful Suburbia. Humans colonize outer space in order to escape the problems of planet Earth, while the Jetsons live in a place where space colonization is already established. Life in outer space is depicted as a fact of life, and the reason behind humanity's takeover of outer space are never explained. Lehman argues that the series offers no explanation for its science fiction premise and does not directly satirize the social problems of any era. The setting is combined with standard sitcom elements, which serve as the series' main focus. After the announcement of the 1962 network television schedule, Time magazine characterized the Jetsons as one of several new situation comedies that were stretching further than ever for their situations. After all seasons' new shows had premiered, a season responding to Minnow's exaltations, the magazine called the series silly and unpretentious, corny and clever, now and then quite funny. 30 years later, Time wrote, and I quote, in an age of working mothers, single parents, George Jetson and his clan already seemed quaint even to the baby boomers who grew up with them. In contrast, economist Jeffrey A. Tucker wrote in 2011 that the Jetsons is distinguished in science fiction lore by the fact that there is a rare attempt in this genre that actually succeeds in predicting the future. Apart from flying cars, which, is, uh, which are as yet unfeasible in the real world, the technology of the Jetsons has become commonplace. People now communicate via video chat on flat screens. Robots have taken over many jobs. Push-button food provides fast and high-quality products. And various high-tech devices are used for leisure. Tucker notes that the Jetsons depict neither a grim dystopia nor an idyllic utopia, but rather a world where capitalism and entrepreneurship still exist and technology has not changed fundamental elements of human nature. So the differences between the 60s version and the 80s version. So the 60s stories were basically 1950s sitcom plots in a setting, whereas the 80s stories delved into fantastic sci-fi cartoon territory. The 1960s version was more adult-orientated than the 1980s version, which was aimed at younger viewers. There was an article, 50 Years of the Jetsons, Why the Show Still Matters, written by Matt Novak of Smithsonian Magazine. 
And what he said was, and I quote, it's easy for some people to dismiss the Jetsons as just a TV show and a lowly cartoon at that. But this little show, for better or for worse, has had a profound impact on the way that Americans think and talk about the future. In 1963, Maury Amsterdam and Pat Carroll each filed $12,000 lawsuits against Hanron-Barbera for breach of contract, claiming that they had been cast and signed to the roles of George and Jane Jetson, respectively, although their contract stipulated that they would be paid $500 an episode with a guarantee of 24 episodes of work. They recorded only one episode before being replaced. Several sources claimed that the change had occurred as a result of sponsor conflict for Amsterdam's commitment to the Dick Van Dyke show and Carol's to make room for daddy. The case has been closed by early 1965. And in the 2013 interview, Pat Carroll indicated that the court had ruled in favor of Hannah and Barbera. Characters, so George Jetson, he's age 40. He's the main character and the protagonist of the series, a loving family man who always seems to make the wrong decisions. Jane Jetson, age 33, is George's wife, mother of their two children and a homemaker. Although it is Rosie who does most of the work, Jane is obsessed with fashion and new gadgetry. Her favorite store is Mooningdale's, and she's a dutiful wife who always tries to make life as pleasant as possible for her family. And outside of the home, she's a member of the Galaxy Women Historical Society and is a fan of Leonardo da Venus and Picasso Pia. Judy Jetson, age 15, is the elder child in the Jetson family, and she was born when Jane was just 18. She's a student at Orbit High, and she's a stereotypical teenage girl whose interests include clothes, hanging out with boys, and revealing secrets to her digital diary that she calls Dee Dee. Elroy Jetson, who was initially six and a half, but later age eight, is the younger of the two children in the Jetson family. He's highly intelligent and an expert in all space sciences, a mild-mannered and good child. He attends the Little Dipper School, where he studies space history, astrophysics, and star geometry. Rosie is the Jetson's household robot. She's an outdated model, but the Jetsons love her and would never trade her for a newer model. Rosie does all of the housework and some of the parenting. She's a strong authoritarian and occasionally dispenses pills to the family. Astro is the Jetson's family dog. Prior to being a Jetson, his name was Tralfaz, and he belonged to the fabulously rich Mr. J.P. Got Rockets. Cosmo Spacely is George's boss and owner of Spacely Space Rockets. His company was founded in Newfoundland in 1937. So, the Jetsons. Boomerang. It just reminds me of Boomerang. And I hated this show when I was a kid. Absolutely hated it. I don't know what it was about it, but whenever it came on, I was like, no. Next thing, whatever else is on, I'll watch that. Um, and I, I don't know what it was. I think probably later, maybe even teens, late teens, like just sat down and watched a couple of episodes of Jetsons and I thought it was amazing. Like, I don't know why I didn't like it before. And even now, revisiting, I love this show. Uh, Rosie the Robot's amazing. Like, sassy, like, uh, like takes no rubbish kind of woman. I love it. Yeah, I think this is a really, really cool show. And also, you mentioned about the um, it shaping the future. If you look at the Richard Branson's new spaceship, kind of looks like George Jetson's car. <laughs> I have never seen the Jetsons until now. No, it's not one of the biggest... I know, right? And it's not like I'd never heard of it. I had heard of the Jetsons. I didn't have Boomerang until like later. 
And even then, I didn't watch it then. But yeah, as a kid, I did not watch the Detchens. If it came on, I didn't see it. I mean, the Flintstones used to come on all the time. Every other Hanna and Barbera cartoon that's like major, you think about Scooby Doo, Top Cat, whatever, all of them, Wacky Races, Penelope, all of them. I used to watch all of them, all of them. And obviously, the Jetsons, it should be up there with all of them. It should be because it's as icon, but I, it, it never came on my TV. I don't know why. But now that I watched it for the first time, I thought, man, this is a really nice, cute cartoon. I would have liked this as a kid. The, the theme tune isn't as catchy as some of the other ones. It's a little bit annoying. As a yeah, theme I don't tune. think Hoyt Curtin spent a great deal of time with this one. Yeah. Um, you consider he wrote Top Cat. He wrote The Flintstones. The Scooby-Doo one, the Yogi Bear. So I think maybe as a kid, maybe it's like if the theme tune's a bit boring, it's you know it's kind of straight away. It off. might not grab you. Yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about it. But anyway, like I said, like I, I think the Jetsons is an absolutely fantastic cartoon. It's definitely one of Hannah and Barbera's better better shows. You know, they've got some amazing shows, and this is one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I, I did in terms of like first impressions. I liked it. I did like in the opening credits where Jane just literally nicks the wallet instead of the money that... Yeah, yeah. I did like that. Little things like that. It was great. You could tell it was very 1960s, the way it was written. Some of the storylines it included that I'll talk about in the um, episodes. Yeah, like you, if you think about it, probably like back in the 1960s, nobody was really ever thinking about the future. If you think about it, right, you just come out of a massive world war you're trying to figure everything out. You've got baby boomers now who are kind of like living in the moment and not really thinking about the future. Right, we need to save us now. We need to do everything. Like obviously, yeah, the 60s, all about kind of change and trying to, like I said, live in the moment. So nobody was ever really thinking about, oh, the future. I wonder what thing, I wonder what's, what it will look like in the future. I wonder how civilization is going to live or, or, or things that are going to happen. And then, voila, Hannah and Barbera give us a uh, creation from uh, the future. And again, it did have kind of like some out, out, outer space theme and things like that. Yeah, I think like it's funny because obviously humans, we think that the, the future doesn't lie within this planet, right? I think... We're kind of plundering this planet so badly that we know that at some point we're going to have to go. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hannah and Barbera did, yeah, realized that. So they thought, why don't we, instead of Josie and the Pussycats, let's go Josie and the Pussycats in outer space and we'll see what those kids get up to and <laughs> yeah, in outer space and the future and, 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 and things of that nature. But but honestly, this was good. The characters were good. The there's a, there is a reason why I didn't put this with the Flintstones. I think while there are the juxtaposition, the Flintstones and the Jetsons. So you got the Flintstones in there, more in their prehistoric, and then you've got the future future of the Jetsons. And there 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 was a like a like a double edged sword with with those two. But um. No, I, I decided not to include the Flintstones with the Jetsons. And just a quick check on my list of episodes, 
we will be doing the Flintstones very, very soon. So uh, watch this space. I mean, the Flintstones, whatever you think about it, it's um, absolutely monumental. They even oh, had they even sure. had the ice pops of uh, Flintstones. So, like, yeah. I think there were ice poles of the Jetsons as well. You know, really, I definitely I never um, saw them. I think there may have been. I think there may have been. Let's try and find them. Let's have a competition. Absolutely, <laughs> I I would love to try them, but but no, honestly, let's 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 go into episodes because yeah, like this for me, I I like this show a lot. First impressions was yeah, very good. I mean, Han and Barbera, they don't miss. No. Generally speaking, they don't miss. And I think they they, they, they definitely, they definitely, no. They did not. Johnny Absolutely Quest. not. No, they did not miss with Johnny Quest. Johnny Quest was good. And Josie and the Pussycats. It got three different runs. Josie and the Pussycats was not their idea initially, but they just kind of turned it into a cartoon because they liked the, the whole idea of the... Uh, the musical band that fights mystery. So I think they they kind of nicked the idea. Because if you remember, they didn't want the black girl in Josie and the Pussycats. They wanted it to be an all-white group. But then the, the makers of Josie and the Pussycats were like, either you include sister over here, or otherwise yeah, we're it. just going to... Yeah, otherwise we'll, we'll, we'll take our business elsewhere. Whether or not you think they did a good job with the cartoon itself and maybe did it into a style similar to one of their other creations, but no, Hanron, but no, no, I, I mean, we'll have to delve into it, but yeah, we've done an episode of Hanron Barbera, didn't we? Right. Yeah. Let's talk about episodes. Yeah. I think this, wouldn't you say it's fair to say that the Jetsons is underrated, right? I think that's a fair comment because it's not rated highly. I don't think. I mean, the BBC showed just about every Hanron Barbera cartoon under the sun, except for, the Jetsons. Yeah. So yeah, I think this is like definitely one of their best, one of their like most underrated shows. I would say I would go as far as to say it's one of the most underrated shows because all the ones that are rated good are just good as well. So they're not underrated necessarily. Anyway, so um, starts off. Uh, uh, Jane's doing her exercises and it's like she's just doing like these wrist like lifts or something like that. So as far as the exercise is going, Judy's going to go swimming. Elroy is trying to get out of going to school as most kids are, and basically everyone in the and everyone in the future is like super lazy like like wally lazy and judy says like she's like oh i can't cook dinner because the machine's broken and she doesn't cook dinner she like presses the button for like eggs and it makes eggs and stuff like that so and then she basically says i want a new machine and then um george says no and then jane goes over his head and speaks to um speaks to her mum and and they said why don't you go and uh, rent a maid so jane goes to the, the shop and gets one on a free trial then george goes to his boss and asks for a raise um, and then uh, his boss invites himself to dinner. So uh, Jane goes to the rent a maid shop and the basic economy model is from Britain. The next one is like the French maid. <laughs> I think that's a kind of more of an adult joke there. And then um, the one, obviously like proper Hannah and, Barbera, Hannah and Barbera accents as well. They paid no national for these accents. <laughs> they just did them themselves. So don't forget the laugh track. Oh yeah, laugh. there was a laugh track in this one, right? Yeah, yeah, so the first one would definitely be a habit for Laugh Track. And uh, Rosie comes out. She has lots of miles on the clock, but she's kind of like an old workhorse kind of like machine. And they choose her to use a free trial. Um, Judy comes home and, and has lots of homework to do, so she can't go out. George comes home and he needs to tell Jane about the boss coming over. Um, and also Jane needs to tell George 
about Rosie, like because she's going to get a thing, and he's he kind of brings his boss around, and he has to prove that he's poor, and they've just, she's just got a maid, so he's kind of like tries to get the robot to like tries to get Rosie to leave. Rosie makes up the food, uh, but they try and need to keep her out of sight, and Rosie makes a nice feel. Mister Spacey Spacely likes it, uh, and then. <laughs> he starts. He gets a cigar out, and then like Rosie comes and lights it, and then he's like, "How can you afford a, a maid with basically what, with what I'm paying on you?" And then Rosie kind of sticks up for George and like smashes him with a cake. George gets fired for it, and then Rosie has to go because they can't afford her. Everyone's upset. Mister Spacely calls him and apologizes and tells and tells him he'll give him a raise because uh, he likes the cake that Rosie made. Then George goes and finds Rosie, takes her back home, and now it's bedtime for everyone. And that was the, the first episode of Finding Rosie. So series three, episode seven, I didn't notice a laugh track had gone until you told me that it had gone, but I did notice a definite change in the mood here. It wasn't that, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing or, or, or a good thing. It was just a little bit different. So one thing I didn't like is the, um, the dog addition to it. So, um, anyway, so George is being pampered and he's singing to music and every time he sings he smashes something and oh yeah so he's getting pampered and he doesn't tip the robot machine and the robot machine kind of shakes him upside down and and takes his money out of his pocket um so even the machine get um annoyed that he doesn't tip uh, i think the voice actors changed and i think you mentioned the year before so the first episode i watched would have been different voice actors to the rest of them so jane has a flower she's going to enter like a flower show uh astro the dog is the new edition which is pointless don't see the point in it why didn't need it and it seemed like that's seems like um Harold Barbera just put a dog in everything for no particular reason. The dog knocks over the flower and then Jane puts it in life support, but it dies. A lady on the so basically Spacely's wife is bragging that she's gonna win the flower competition because she's entered as well. Uh George goes to the florist to get the um to get a flower for his wife to enter the competition again for for Jane. Um and he gets this thing called a Martian creeper and it's a pain, and everyone before has returned this plant. So the 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 uh, the, the, the shopkeepers are keen to get rid of it. Uh, Jane loves the plant, and she but the plant keeps getting into mischief, um, and it kind of like will knock something over and blame someone else, and no one kind of knows it's like a bit of a pain at the moment. Uh, Astro doesn't like the plant. Rosie and the dog know about the plant, but the parents don't. Um, plant has got Elroy and. Uh, Judy upside down uh, so George has to go and return it but the florist has gone out of business um, they try and give the plant away but it comes back all on its own uh, then George comes back to the barbershop quartet to, uh, he has like a barbershop quartet come in and they rehearse their singing and the plant likes the singing um, now Mr. Spacely sees the plant and he wants to swap it George tries to talk him out of it and he says um, but he says no I want the thingy the, the plant so Arthur, Mr. Spacey's son, goes to steal the plant and Astro helps him steal it. He's like, oh, I see what you're trying to do. And he doesn't shop him in. He like, helps him steal the plant. So Jane and George asking about the plant and Astro denies all knowledge of knowing about the plant. The creeper has hold of Mr. Spacey and he says, like, if you, you have to help him, uh, so you have to help me. And he's like, you're going to get fired. And then he tells him that he's going to publicly fire George at this uh, the flower show. So at the judging of the uh, of the flower competition, George is singing in his barbershop quartet. The creeper comes back and they say, whose plant is Jane wins the uh, prize because of the dancing plant. Um, then the plant get hold of Mrs. Spacey. And then he said, like, and he said, oh, OK, I'll let you go if you give me a, a new company car and a new and a raise and, you know, a new office and this and that and the other. And then the plant lets him go. And that's the end. Right. I watched... 
three more episodes after the pilot. So I watched one called Jane's Driving Lesson. So basically, George is heading home from work and he's happy because he beats the traffic. So he says, you know, what? I'm going to go to the barber shop to get a trim. But it looks horrible because the barber has gone out to get a haircut on, of his own. So it's like, where's the barber? I don't know. He's gone to get his haircut. <laughs> I think he's on, on his way driving and then he's complaining about women drivers because they're holding him up somehow. Then he sees a fire at the superintendent's house, but it's only the superintendent cooking dinner. And basically, George is like to the superintendent, you know what? You need to find you a wife, man. Why are you cooking on your own and all this kind of stuff? And so George is basically looking to know where Jane is. I don't think Astro was a new inclusion in the 80s. I think Astro was here in the 60s. I just think maybe he talked more in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't in the pilot episode though, right? So, no, 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 he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't. And so George is trying to find out where Jane is. Meanwhile, Jane is going shopping, but she misses the bus and she gets fed up. She finally gets home, but she's knackered. She wants a car, but George is against it and she wants to learn how to drive. And George is like, no, you shouldn't be driving. And something along the line about women shouldn't be driving and blah, 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 blah. It's just like... Yeah, that's, that's, that's a risky one. That's a risky one. Yeah, maybe not in 1962, but I'm watching it and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, George. Don't, don't let the side down. And Jane has already found a driving school, as, as, as you do. She's like, I've already found driving school. He's like, oh, what? Okay, then. And obviously, he's powerless. And Jane is basically trying to learn how to drive. Her teacher is very shaky and nervous. And he's like, you need to keep your eye on the sky, Jane. Stop talking to me. And there's like a little knob in the car and the teacher gets ejected. She presses it. She's playing around with all the other buttons. I think it's Mr. Tweeter. That's it. Yeah. Mr. Tweeter's trying to back out early. Going, oh, oh, I think the time's over. And Jane's got her watch going, uh, actually, it's only been five minutes. And it's like, and that five minutes has felt like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, predictable laugh tracks. And George is basically waiting anxiously at home. While Jane is like trying to learn, she's like, oh, I'm getting the hang of this. He's trying to overtake. And he's like, you know what you need to do? You need to drop me off to the bank so I can check my insurance policy. More laughing on a laugh track. Maybe I should put a laugh track in this uh, podcast. And then, yeah, so, and then Mr. Tweeter is basically walking into the middle of a robbery. And so the, the thief is like getting all the money and he jumps into the car with Jane thinking it's a getaway driver. And the robbers were like frustrated. With the driving, he's like, oh my God, come on, move. And then gets the police's attention. The burglar can't drive and he's getting freaked out. Jane wants to stop, but she can't. The burglar, oh, Knuckles, I think his name was. He's horrified that Jane can't drive. The police is caught up with them. Mr. Tweeter is on the TV, terrified of Jane. And so he's like, oh my God, there's this crazy person with the car and, and whatnot. Jane is trying to drive to... Um, to the station but obviously she doesn't know how to stop so knuckle basically gives in is like, i'd rather get arrested than be in a car with you then jane decides that she doesn't care about driving so much and george is saying that driving should be left for men but then he gets he gets caught running a red light and he has and he has his license expired so he has to take the bus and 
Henry, the superintendent, ends up having a fiancé. That's how they were saying it. I don't know why they were saying it in that way. And he's like, so you got a fiancé, huh? That's like, what? just say fiancé. And she drives the bus. So basically, Henry's always getting free rides. So then George is like, okay, women drivers exist. Then I went to the 80s episodes. So the one I watched was The Vacation. So George is at work. He clocks off. And he goes home. Elroy and Judy are watching a galaxy guessing show on TV. And basically, it's like a random caller. Gus Gesser is the quiz master. If he calls you, then you got to answer all the questions. And if you get them right, you get to win a holiday. And so Jane gets the call. She has to answer all the questions. And she gets both questions right. And I think Rosie tells her the, the answer to the first question. And Astro barks the answer to the second one. They win the holiday, but no pets allowed. And so Astro is really gutted. George is stuck in traffic, but he finally gets home. Jane tells him about the holiday on the Love Rocket. And they're all going except for Astro. Jane can't decide what she packs. So I like how she just gets the whole wardrobe and just closes it down. Rosie is off. So Astro has to go to a kennel. Because obviously they're like, oh, you can stay with Rosie. And then Rosie's like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm getting out of here. Elroy decides that he wants to take Astro on holiday. So Elroy has to be disguised. Elroy's planning a disguise so that Astro can go. They leave Astro in the hotel room. And George sees his old flame from Orbit High School, Sally Space Out. And they're talking about the good old days and how she still likes him. There's Boy Boy the Rockstar. And he's on board the ship. And it turns out that he used to go out with Jane. And he used to be called Blinky Sunstop, like a really geeky guy. She tells him that he is married, but he says, oh, you need to forget about your husband. George is trying to tell Sally that he's married, but he can't seem to get it out. And Elroy catches Sally giving George a right smack on the cheek. And Boy Boy is trying to kiss Jane and Judy sees them. And so Elroy is in disguise. He's trying to talk to Sally, but it doesn't work. Judy is trying to talk to Boy Boy. But he's like, you need to find someone your own age, kid. Keep it moving. Jane is looking for Elroy and Judy for the costume ball. But it's now running away from Boy Boy. George is running away from Sally. And that Boy Boy is no Joy Joy. So Boy Boy jumps in a spaceship with Sally inside. And they both take a liking to one another. Astro ends up winning the costume ball. George and Jane are trying to avoid Sally and Boy Boy. And they both haven't had the heart to talk about their old flames. So they just say to each other, I love you. And they have a great time on holiday, but they want a vacation from this vacation. Because you know, like when you go from, when you're, when you go on holiday, right? And you come back. I always find that I need like at least two, three days to just adjust. Yeah. For me, coming back from holiday is the best bit. I love the holiday. I love getting back from holiday. Like, it's better than actually getting, going on a holiday and, you know, being on a beach or whatever it is getting back to english soil and just like sitting in a traffic jam with it raining with it raining and being dark i think that's the best bit about holiday no i mean but like when you come back i always need a couple of days to adjust yeah yeah it's de definitely not good to go straight back into work the next day no 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 no, no. I, I i i never do i remember when i came back from um, canada and the united states i was like jet lagged i think for like the week just jet lagged. I was yeah. like, I can't. I'm, just need I to need sleep. to sleep, adjust, figure it out, and then just slowly get back into civilization and normality. And definitely need that. And they're playing a. So yeah, they have a great time. Elroy is 
now playing the Galaxy Guest game. He gets the question right and he wins another cruise on the Love Rocket. And the finale was Spacely for a day. So George is sleeping on the job and then Mr. Spacely walks in. So he hires Professor Nebulous to check efficiency and productivity in the office. And he's saying that George needs to stand up instead of sit down so that he could be productive. Spacely's wife is scolding him for not giving her a vacation. So Professor Nebulous is trying to look for a replacement for a couple of weeks. So they're testing George out for the role and, and they're doing all these like different questions. Spacely doesn't want George to have the role so that he can give him a wage cut. So he's like doing everything in his power to um, sabotage. So he has to put a robot back together, but Spacey keeps distracting him. And I just like how the robot's like built and then the robot is just like, just falls on the floor. So Jane's saying that George should maybe do the test again if there's like a bit of cheating. The kids find out his score and it's 73 out of a thousand. So they change the score of the chest, but then Astro changes it some more. But Spacey still doesn't want to leave George in charge, even though with, with his high score. And there's a army man who's like trying to motivate George by saying that I can be the man I want to be. So he has to keep saying that. And Spacey's rival realizes that he's not going to be in the office, Mr. Cogswell. So he's trying to ruin Mr. Spacey and his business. So he's trying to play golf with George. But then Mr. Cogswell's telling George that he needs to make big orders from Universal, three million orders. The power's getting to his head and he's having to go at Rosie at home for being slow. He's having to go at Jane for not cooking. George could be losing business to the best customer to Mr. Cogswell because obviously Mr. Cogswell is like trying to play the, the customer at George. George is still playing golf with Mr. Cogswell and he's telling George about some spray that helped keep building up. But it's definitely it's like a spray that like destroys buildings. Rosie wants to quit because of George's attitude, but Elroy chain tells Jane that he's changed the score of the test, so he has to tell George. So Elroy tells him that he changed the score, but he still wants to be in charge. The spray is fake and it almost destroys the building, but George stops in time. George is confronting Mr. Cogswell about it, but Mr. Cogswell ends up spraying it on his own building. Spacely finds the three million sprockets in the office and he's impressed with the order but they haven't paid the bill in 25 years so the running theme is that he fires George again and then Mr. Cogswell wants to buy the sprockets but it will cost 100% extra and he's forced to accept as basically he's grateful and he offers George his job back and that was the end of the Jetsons. Yeah, I think this is a pretty pretty good show I, I honestly can't really say anything particularly bad about it it's not like I said, dog, Hannah and Barbera dog. But the show itself was really good. Um, if you can get over the theme tune, I'd recommend watching this one. The theme song's not that bad. It tells you who the characters are and it tells you what's what. Yeah, which is right up my street whilst doing this podcast. I'm telling you now. Like, and even the, the, the one of the next shows is... Meet doesn't... George Jetson and his wife, Jay Jetson and his kid, Judy Jetson. And his other kid, Elroy Jetson. So whilst, whilst that's happening, I'm literally writing this down. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, I like this show. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, what, it's one of those things where what more do you want? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's literally telling you what you need to know. It's telling you who they are, what they do. I thought it was fine. Okay, it's not, it's not a catchy, it's not a bop. I'm not going to... You know, like the fairly old parents that we're going to talk about later. But I thought it did the job. And I thought this, this show, yeah, it did the job. And 
it's it's a game changer in terms of what we all thought of um the future in space particularly for like american viewers in the 1960s like i said it made people think damn the future what is it going to look like yeah especially with the space race starting as well so exactly yeah yeah absolutely so it's one of those it's, it's one of those things they they did a a fantastic job with all of that and uh once again hanron barbera great job Right, so the Wild Thornberries. So this came out in September 1998, and some of the things happening in the world. The Independent Council, Ken Starr, sends a report to the United States Congress accusing President Bill Clinton of 11 possible impeachable offences. German Chancellor Helmut Kohl's CDU-CSU party suffers a heavy defeat in federal elections to Gerard Schroeder's SPD party. Google is formally incorporated by Larry Page and Sir Guy Brin, two students at Stanford University. Ronin was in the cinemas. And Do What That Thing by Lauren Hill was in the charts. What a song. What an artist. This one, Lauren Hill, I'm, 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 yeah, I wouldn't expect you to know Lauren Hill, to, to be fair to you. But Lauren Hill is one of the most incredible music artists of this generation by far and away and the miseducation of Lauren Hill is still to this day for me one of the best albums by a female artist and do up that thing was probably the big hit record so the wild thornberries now so this is a american animated tv series that focuses around a nomadic family of documentary filmmakers known as the thornberries famous for their televised wildlife studies it primarily centers on the family's younger daughter, Eliza, and her secret gift of being able to communicate with animals, which was bestowed upon her after having rescued a shaman masquerading as a trapped warthog. The gift enabled her to talk to Thornbury's pet chimpanzee, Darwin. Together, the pair frequently venture through the wilderness, befriending many species of wild animals along the way, or realizing more truths and lessons through either their experiences or a particular animal species lifestyle or simply assisting the creatures by which they become acquainted in their difficulties. The Wild Thornberries was produced by Klasky Supo for Nickelodeon. There's a name that we've heard many a time on this podcast. And it was the first Nicktoon to exclusively use 22-minute stories. And the series was designed to have a focus on parents after focus groups ran by Klasky and Supo uncovered that children were talking about the real struggles of the parent-child relationship this was opposed to Nickelodeon's view of only featuring kids in children's programming. Common Sense Media gave the series a rating of five stars, praising it for its ability to encourage young viewers to be empathetic towards animals, to want to find out about other cultures and ways of life, and to understand the vastness and diversity of the world. Knight Ridder called the series sympathetic. The native voice complimented the series on its commitment to fun, adventure, detail, accuracy, and honesty. Environmental, they won an environmental media award for children's animated show for the episode You Otter Know. They won a Genesis Award for television for Hunting by Numbers. And they won a Burbank International Children's Film Festival Award for Best Telefeature Animation. The characters, so Eliza, she has braided hair, glasses, braces, and freckles. She has four visible teeth connected by two braces. She's able to communicate with animals, especially Darwin, and she must keep this gift a secret or she will lose her powers. Nigel, 
or Sir Nigel Archibald Thornbury, who was voiced by the brilliant Tim Curry, if you know him from Home Alone. Do bundle up, it's awfully cold outside. Housekeeping! That's my favourite line. Do you know when she's... Yeah. He's trying to stop her going outside and she, whack, she whacks him across the face. Mrs. <laughs> Callister, these operating around the area. He's fantastic. Cedric, Cedric, don't count your tips in public. <laughs> There's a maniac with a gun. Good stuff. Yeah, he, God, he was, his voicing was hilarious in this. I didn't know that was him, but I'm actually really pleased it's him now. Fantastic. As soon as I found out it was him, and then I just thought, yeah, he is awesome. Shout out to Tim Curry, wherever you are in the world. So, yeah, he's the son of an aristocratic British couple, born in the United Kingdom, having attended Harrow School. He travels around the world with his own family, making wildlife documentaries. He's eccentric, enthusiastic, and cheerful, even in the face of danger. And he's also known for his exaggerated facial features and love of kippers, which he offers frequently. <laughs> We're going to have kippers for breakfast this morning. <laughs> I've never had kippers for breakfast. So I don't even think that's a thing. Of course it's a thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't thought, I don't have thought you it ever was had a kipper? I don't, have I, I'm not sure if I've ever, ever had a kipper in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come to think of it. I don't think I have. I think I've... I've had like pretty much every species of fish, but like maybe not. Like, yeah, there's Marianne, who was voiced by Jodie Carlisle, and she is the daughter of Frank and Sophie Hunter and Betty White. She mentions that she attended the University of California, and then there was Donnie, who was voiced by Flea. I think he's the drummer in Red Hot Chili Peppers. Dad, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize in my notes. Yeah, Feral Boy, adopted by the Thornberrys, who as revealed in the film, was raised by an orangutan in Kalimantan, Borneo, after his parents, who were the old friends of the Thornberrys, were killed by poachers. Debbie is voiced by Danielle Harris, and she becomes the only family member to know about Eliza's power, but is warned that she will be turned into a baboon if she ever tells anybody. Debbie dresses in grunge clothing and has a peekaboo hairstyle. Darwin, voiced by Tom Kane, is a Thornberry's pet chimpanzee, usually wears a tank top with his horizontal blue and white stripes. Used to be Debbie's lucky tank top and blue shorts. And he speaks with a distinct upper-class British accent. Right, okay. Wild Thornberrys. Let's talk about this show. Wild Thornberrys is one of the best kids' TV shows I watched as a kid, hands down. Uh, This was like one of those things. I think it took a while to discover it. And then once you discovered it, it was like, oh my God, what is this show? It's amazing. I struggled as a kid to get into the Wild Thornberrys. I really, really struggled. I just, something about this show just never clicked with me as a kid. But as an adult, I really like this show. I really got it. I, I think it's a fantastic concept. I think it's a really good idea. It is a way to teach kids about the world, teach them about different places in the world, teach them about different cultures and different lifestyles that people may lead. You learn about animals. I think they do a lot of awareness about poachers and hunting and game and, and, and all of that horrible, nasty stuff. They, they, they do all of that and they explain it in a, in, a, in a really, really good way. And I appreciated it as an adult a hell of a lot more. As, as a kid, I just I couldn't vibe with this. Like it would be on. And I'll just be waiting for the next thing to come on. So it'll just be on in the background for me. 
Yes, yeah, I liked it as a kid and I liked it as an adult. I thought it held up perfectly, almost exactly what I thought of it. Yeah, I thought this was a great show, but both times. No, yeah, and like I said, Nigel is just the best. He's the best. I loved him. I like Darwin. He's like this like wimpy chimpanzee. Doesn't want to ever get into trouble, but trouble always finds him. It's so good. He's yeah, the typical measly, mealy mouth Brit as well. He's just like this was a hell of a lot better than uh, I gave credit for. And like, I think with Klasky Supo, I think they definitely had a lane with their cartoons where I think obviously they want to do cartoons and they want to appeal to kids. But I think what they also did that was excellent as we did with As Told by Ginger was that they wanted to try and not patronize the kids. Like, okay, this is what happens with kids with life. So with As Told by Ginger, they are going to, Re- account and recount whatever life as a teenager. This is what's happening with teenagers. I did. I did like the 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 um the relationship between the parents and the teenage um Debbie because obviously like teenagers quite hard to reach as for for parents and things like that. But it's just one of those things. Obviously, teenagers still need to be looked after. They don't want to be looked after, and you know. And it, there's actually a really nice um one of the episodes I watched is quite a nice. Uh, father-daughter relationship and yeah I, th- I think it worked quite well with like um yeah absolutely and you know, showing those things yeah and as, as, as like i was saying that there's like different like strands and different types of like kids who grew up so obviously if you were a kid grew up with your mom and dad or whatever and you went to school and you lived in the suburbs and you grew up and it's all nice Whereas you would have like As Told by Ginger, where it's like Ginger Foutley, she's her mum was divorced, her dad is like a deadbeat, and he wasn't really in the picture. You've got the the case where with um with the Wild Thornberries, where they're not necessarily at home, so it's a completely different dynamic. So they're homeschooled, and they're traveling around the world, and they're seeing all these different things, and they're basically kind of following whatever the parents are doing. So obviously, what they the parents' job is what they do. I think they kind of did that really well where they were like sort of grouping up different types of children and how they would grow up. And yeah, this was, this was another knock, knocked it out of the park. I think Klasky super with the wild thornberries and yeah, I just wish I appreciated it more as a kid. Right. Should we do episodes? Yep. Take it away with the pilot, Paul. Right. So, uh, I mean, I didn't write the episode name because it just says pilot there. I'm sure it said it on the um, the intro. It says I, pilot. It says oh, pilot. Oh, that's why. That's why it was rubbish quality. Ah, okay. I was watching it and I was like, this looks like someone's filmed it on their telly. Right. So uh, it's breakfast time. There's a stampede and they all move breakfast inside. It's kind of like business as usual. Like, I'll get to your stampede positions because we, you know, there's animals coming. Um, Nigel's making a documentary about the zebra stampede. Eliza can talk to the animals. Poachers are listening to the radio communications f- between um, the, the Thornberries and the foundation that they're working for. And they're listening for at- clues about where animals are going to be. And they hear about a, um, a possible black rhino. And obviously they want to like cut the horn off and powder it and stuff like that. So uh, the parents go out on their own and leave the kids. Eliza follows mum and dad. Donnie follows. So Debbie has to now follow too because Debbie's kind of the unofficial mother of Donnie. Eliza and Darwin come across hyenas. Eliza tries to talk them down, but they still want to eat her, and her and Darwin have to run off. Uh, meanwhile, Nigel and Marianne are tracking down the rhino, uh, making a documentary about it still. Nigel listens for the rhino on the ground and gets ants on his face. That's quite funny, that part. Um, uh, Darwin convinces 
they're not convinced they'll find a rhino, but they find a shade where the dino is dino, the rhino is going to be. Debbie's still looking for Donnie. Eliza spots a rhino. Darwin is scared. She can't she calls it over and says, I'll give you food if you come over here. She falls off the tree, but Darwin saves her. She gets shots of the rhino using her camera. Um, Donnie's in the background of the shots. And then he bites the, ta ta the tail of the rhino and it goes crazy and starts charging. The parents are packing up. He listens and he can hear that. He says, he's like, I can hear like two girls and a boy getting chased by a rhino. Uh, the kids come against a, uh, come up against a canyon and they can't, uh, you know, go any further. Dad jumps on it and calms it down. The poachers find them. They capture the rhino and Nigel and Eliza tells the rhino of what the poacher is going to do to them because obviously she can talk to it and um, it goes crazy and chases them off. The parents tell Eliza um, off for, for doing what she did for following them, but they said they like a footage, but she's still grounded. And then she, but they say, Eliza, are you listening? And she's already off on an adventure to find a lion, which is probably where your episode one comes in. Yes. Episode one was called Flood Warning. So they are in East Africa. And they're right by Mount Kilimanjaro. And Nigel's doing a piece to camera. But he wants to, he's talking about a lion. But obviously the, the piece to camera needs a lion. They're worried about a storm. And Eliza's saying that they should be able to find lions. But Darwin is not happy about it. Debbie is trying to learn how to drive the convoy. But the brake is stuck. And they crash into some mud. And they can't move. The flood is here. And the convoy is gone. And... They basically they're stuck, so they've got to camp out in the nut. They have to camp out for the night. Nigel is building a cabalito. He's like, oh, I'm going to build a cabalito, <laughs> and they're all like, What the heck is a cabalito? And then the mom is like, It's a hut, whatever. And obviously, um, Marianne is struggling to come to terms with everything. Eliza's still trying to lure a lion, and they can hear one. Debbie decides to go look for a convoy. Eliza gets up and she's thinking, well, I'm going to go look for a lion. Donnie wants to come with her, but she's like, I don't want, want you to come with me. And so Mel, and so Eliza, has, Eliza runs into a lion and then she ends up being chased by the lion. And obviously she's like, oh, why are you doing out? I know that male lions don't hunt. It's normally the um, lionesses who hunt. And so the male lion gets trapped by some thorns and Eliza bumps into a pride of lionesses and Nigel and Marianne are woken up and they see that Debbie and Eliza have gone. And so the lionesses are like to um, Eliza, we'll let you live as long as you come with us to hunt. But she has to join in. So they're running to Debbie. And so Eliza's like pretending to hunt and trying to catch Debbie. And so they're all like, ooh, we're impressed. And so she's telling Debbie, you need to run. And they end up getting cornered by the lions. But then they end up getting swept away. And the parents save the day. And we find out that a cabalito is a boat. Or a type of a boat. And they find the convoy. And so they say, you know what? We're going to have breakfast in Nairobi. And that's how that episode ends. The next episode I watched was the season two finale. So I don't know if you watched anything before that. I watched April Fool's episode. I don't know when that was. In the, in the grand scheme of things. Right, so it's April Fool's Day. Mum wakes Eliza up and she's got like loads of cups of water on the ground. It's kind of her little trick. Mum leaves a, a winged dino article and it's like kind of this like, legend that this is dino, dinosaur still kind of flying about. Mum and Eliza um, and this boy called Ty, who's like their cousin who's staying with them, go to find a pangolin. And 
I think that's what it's called. The the thing that supposedly caused the coronavirus, that thing. The boy, the boy called Ty, um, Eliza basically was challenging him to do like April Fool's tricks. Uh, dad, uh, dad wants David to do schoolwork, um, specifically the PE section. Uh, she stays back with Donnie again. Like uh, again in this one, she's kind of Donnie's mother. Like, she's always with him. Um, Eliza sets a trap for Mum. Tyler sees it, and she said, "Go away." Um, then he think he tricks her into thinking he's going to the quicksand, and Mum said it's the best trick ever. And she's and Eliza's sad because she wants to be the best one. Debbie is done with the exercises, and Donnie takes her fan and makes a run after it. Uh, and then, like again, that's another tick in the box with um, Nigel. Ty tricks Eliza into opening the can that she shook up for him to open. Um, then more Donnie jumping around. Mum sets the camera up for the pangolin shot. Um, Ty actually falls in the quicksand for real. Eliza doesn't believe him, and she accidentally goes in herself. A lion comes, is going to eat them up. Uh, Debbie thinks she's going to pass, not going to pass PE. Mum shoots a pangolin some more. Um, Kids still in the quicksand. She uses the rope to throw around a tree to try and lift them up. Then a big pterodactyl comes and scares the lion away, but it's like a remote control aeroplane. And it's basically mum's trick, and she's made a remote control. She's been working on that for about a year. Mum sees them and pulls them out. Eliza says, no more April Fool's jokes anymore. I'm fed up with it. They hear noises in the bushes, and Debbie's jumping for the PE thing. And they say it's an April Fool's thing to save Deb Debbie's embarrassment because she was rubbish at jumping. Eliza gets a laugh with the hand buzzer. With Ty, she goes like, oh, truce. And then they, she has a hand buzzer. And then Donnie finds it and starts buzzing Darwin. Um, that's the last bit of the episode. So the next episode I watched was Pack of Thornberries. So this time they are at the Yellowstone National Park for the wolf show. And Eliza's reading too loud and Debbie gets annoyed. So they have a pillow fight. They reach the US border and Eliza and Debbie aren't talking. Nigel's trying to fix it. They meet Sam from the wolf rest. He was the wolf restoration manager. But Nigel forgets to send the letter for like permission so that he could record at Yellowstone. Eliza spots the wolves. Nigel spots tourists and Eliza sleeps in the tent to get away from Debbie. Grandma writes to Debbie and she's talking to Debbie about going to boarding school. And Eliza's like, Debbie, you can't even get in. And Darwin, as ever, is against looking for wolves. And he's looking for examples. So he's like, wolves are bad. Look at this story about this poor little girl in a red hood. Look what happened to her. Look at these poor little piggies. Look what happened to them. And then obviously Eliza's like, they're not real. So like, don't worry about that. Eliza and Debbie are still bickering. So Debbie decides to apply for Mrs. Wentworth's school for girls. Nigel's like upset about this because he doesn't want the family to break up. But Debbie decides to go for an interview with Marianne. Nigel ends up going with Sam so they can go check out the wolves. But Eliza spots them and they don't. she doesn't want to like go. So Eliza's actually going to one of the wolves and she's getting a tour while Debbie and Marianne are at the school. And Debbie's talking about all the places she's been to, to the world. But I think the teacher doesn't really want that. But Debbie's like, I've been around the world and I just want to settle in one place. The wolf is basically talking to Eliza about hating being in the pack and he likes to be alone. And so Eliza's like, yeah, I can definitely relate. And the wolf tells her to come back later. And Debbie tells Nigel uh, Eliza could have the room because she's going to end up going to the school. We learn that a sheep has been killed by one of the wolves 
and it could be one of Eliza's friends, Moto. And so Eliza's trying to warn him. And the wolves are saying that, look, we're a pack of wolves for a reason. We should always be together. Why is he on his own? You see, like, Moto's got, like, blood all over his mouth. So everybody's thinking, oh, it's, it's definitely him. And Debbie's at her interview. She's being herself. And she's telling about all the am amazing stories about traveling. She knows a lot about animals and geography. And the teachers are impressed by this. Eliza's looking for Moto, but he turns out he didn't eat the sheep. The blood is from a cut. And Eliza's telling him that you have to stay with the pack. And they want to go back, but they run into a bear because it smells marshmallow in Donnie's hair. Marianne is telling Debbie all the things that she will miss if she goes to the school. So Sam and Nigel and Marianne and Debbie all come and the wolves and they all come to save the day. And so Eliza learns that they're like wolves and that they should all stick together and they should always be together. Next episode I watched was The Trouble with Darwin. So they're in Tanzania again, and they're at the grand opening of the chimpanzee sanctuary, and they're visiting Dr. Jane Goodall, and Eliza is excited to meet her. Nigel is like bragging about being recognized by Japanese tourists and someone at the sanctuary, so he's all getting excited about that. And so they're basically building a chimp sanctuary to keep the baby chimps safe because their mums are being killed by poachers. And this is what I was talking about, how they will always raise awareness and talk about these sort of things. They give Debbie a break because uh, she spent a lot of time looking after Donnie. So the parents are like, you can do whatever you like. So Debbie goes exploring, but someone thinks that she's supposed to be working. And so she has to look after the baby monkeys. Eliza runs into Dr. Jane Goodall. And Dr. Jane is confused by Darwin because she's like critical thinking like, oh, why is Darwin with you? Why is he domesticated? He should be free. Why is he wearing clothes and all this sort of stuff? And obviously Eliza's like, but Darwin's my best friend. What are you talking about? I would never treat Darwin in a certain type of way. And it's like, it's not really the monkey's choice, is it? Then Nigel and Marianne are meeting Dr. Jane Goodall and Eliza's really upset by what, the, what Dr. Jane said. And then obviously Darwin's like, why is she talking like this? I don't want to live in the wild. But obviously Eliza can't tell Dr. Jane that she can talk to Darwin, otherwise she'll lose her powers. And Debbie's having a hard time with the baby chimps. And there's a hog that warns Eliza and Darwin about poachers. But Darwin ends up getting trapped in a cage by a poachers, and that was the hog's warning. A deer tells Eliza where Darwin could be, and she finds him in a truck. Eliza manages to send off a warning before getting caught by the poachers. So Nigel, Marianne, and Dr. Jane are on the move. Debbie manages to get the baby chimps to sleep and agrees to help for a little bit longer. Eliza's tied up, but a hog unties her, and she escapes, flattening all the poachers' tires, and then they all bump into Dr. Jane. And they, they save the day and the poachers are captured. Dr. Jane then sees Darwin and Eliza's relationship. And Eliza knows that it's wrong to keep chimps as, as a pet. And she obviously tells her that Darwin is more than a pet and they have a magical relationship. And obviously she's like, look, keep Darwin, but make sure that you're always spreading the word about chimp captivity and raising awareness about this sort of stuff. Marianne has a footage of the poachers. Darwin is glad that he could stay with his best friend. And we learn that, then we see that Debbie having a bond with the baby chimps. And then the finale, which was Eliza Unplugged. So I'm not quite sure where they are in the world for this episode. I should have made a note of that. But I'm, I'm guessing they're in the States somewhere. And Nigel and Marianne, they're basically dealing with riptides. 
there's someone called Shane that rides with them, but he has to leave. Eliza really likes him and doesn't want him to go. Debbie tells Eliza that she should tell him how she feels before it's too late. And Marianne is getting upset while filming because she feels that she's not as close as she was to her daughters. Eliza's trying to talk to Shane, but he's rattled. And he's like, what do you want? This is not my world. This is your world. I need to spend some time alone. Because obviously he's, he's clearly upset about leaving. Marianne's trying to make breakfast for Eliza to try and find out what's happening. But she's like, no, thank you. Eliza is upset. So a king eagle comes to give royal advice. So he's the advice is basically, look, you should be crying over random people, but you should let them know how you feel. So Eliza wants to go and tell Shane how he, she feels. Marianne keeps crying over Nigel's piece of camera. So Nigel wants to know what's happening. And then obviously she's telling him about how her daughters don't want to share stuff with her anymore. Donnie gives Eliza a note and that Shane has run away. Nigel wants to get his wife a gift, so he's trying to seek advice. The eagle tells Eliza where Shane is. Eliza manages to find him and Shane says that he has enjoyed spending time with the Thornberrys because he could be himself. And he's worried that because his music and personality has changed so much, that it's going to affect his music and it's going to affect the record label and what they might think. And now that the riptide is coming through to them, they end up being stuck on this island somewhere. And Nigel and Marianne are going to some kind of ceremony and they're getting a gift from the locals. And Debbie manages to come to Eliza and Shane's rescue by putting a rope on a tree and they manage to climb up the tree. And, and, and basically while they're like trying to climb up, she tells Shane how she feels. Debbie is like proud of her sister for being brave enough to tell Shane how she feels. And they want Shane to sing a song at the ceremony. Shane is leaving and he says, thank you to the Thornbury. This is actually a really nice moment. Cause he's like, look, you guys have taught me so much. I'm never going to forget you. So please don't forget me. I've had the time of my life and yeah. And he basically gets Eliza a camera. He gets parents a signed photo. He gives Debbie the password to his website sunglasses for Darwin and hairspray for Donnie. Eliza gets him a sea glass and they have a little kiss and hug and Shane is gone. And that was the end of the wild Thornberries. Yeah, I don't really have much else to say about it apart from it was as good now as it was when I was a kid. So like props to it holding up. That's, that's what we want to see in yesterday's capers. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It, 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 well, it was good now and I'm pretty sure it was good. I just didn't, I didn't realize its value back when, but I do now. And yeah, this was, this was absolutely superb. Last but not least, the fairly odd parents. So this came out in March, 2001 and some of the things happening in the world, the world wrestling federation, WWF or now called WWE purchased its rival organization, world championship wrestling, WCW, for an estimated $7 million. And it pretty much changed the landscape of professional wrestling forever when WWF did for that. For $7 million. Well, Yeah, WCW was but out seven, on its feet. $7 million, that's like nothing. Everything now you that think company is acquisition was, is yeah, billions. But that, WCW was ran into the ground by the owners and it was it was a wasteland. I think I think I think I think they were very generous offering seven million for the for that company at the end. 
The IRA detonates a bomb in front of BBC Television Centre in London, injuring 11 people. The Bank of Japan issued a monetary policy known as quantitative easing, which stimulated the Japanese econ economy after the burst of the dot-com bubble. Spy Kids was in the cinema. And Pure and Simple by Hearsay was number one in the charts. Pure and simple. This, like, changed the landscape of, like, music and how we, like, see music artists. Because, obviously, Hearsay were created by a TV show, pop stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd never seen anything like this before in the UK in terms of, like, this is mad. We're seeing the process of how a band is being formed. And we're seeing that, you know, I think in, in, in the background, that's what normally happens. If you want to, if you want to make a group, you're going to have to audition, you're going to have to do this and this and this, Whereas I think they were showing us the, uh, the process and, uh, change TV forever. It did. It did. And it, it, it gave birth to, the likes of pop stars, the rivals, American Idol, Pop Idol, X Factor, The Voice. Britain's got talent. America's got talent. Everything. All of them. Yeah, yeah. It, it gave birth to all of them. I'm not saying the UK invented that, but yeah, they 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 bought this. They yeah, I'm, I would say they they, they, bought, <laughs> they bought this on us to the world. And I mean, if I was forming a band, look, I ain't got nothing against hearsay. All right, pure and simple is a little bit catchy. I ain't gonna front, right? It's very catchy, but apart from Mylene Class and Kim Marsh, couldn't tell you who the other members of the group was. I didn't know they were in it, to be honest. I know who they both are, but I didn't know they were in that band. Yeah, they were in Hearsay. Oh. <laughs> <I> mean... <laughs> yeah, and obviously they they were smart enough to think, right, we need to come up with a plan b because i don't think this uh group gonna work out so mining class was like i'm gonna do hair shampoo adverts well not just hair shampoo adverts but like become a tv personality and kim is gonna go into acting and she's gonna be in all these different shows and the others damn but no yeah and, and then obviously with hearsay they were unlucky because the other group that didn't win became more famous and more successful than them and that was pretty much the story of British music contest shows. Always the person that never won becomes the more successful person. But uh, yes, alas, we'll probably talk about this when we talk about other shows in this uh, era. The Fairly Odd Parents. So this was an American animated TV series created by Butch Hartman for Nickelodeon and Nicktoons. The series follows the adventures of Timmy Turner, who's a 10-year-old boy with two fairy godparents named Cosmo and Wanda and a malevolent 16-year-old babysitter named Vicky. It was produced by Fred Siebert and Frederator Studios. The theme song was done by Butch Hartman and Ron Jones. He basically wants to grant his every wish to improve his miserable life. However, these wishes usually backfire and causes a problem that Timmy must fix. Earlier episodes of the series tend to revolve around Timmy trying to navigate his everyday life at home, at school and elsewhere with his friends Chester and AJ. Later in the series, Timmy wishes that Cosmo and Wanda would have a baby, whom they named Poof. Much later in the series, Tommy got a pet fairy dog named Sparky. Even later in the series, 
Timmy is informed that due to shortage of available fairies, he must now share Cosmo and Wanda with his neighbor, Chloe Carmichael, who is essentially his polar opposite. Chloe loves sharing animals and everything that is ecologically friendly. And at the beginning of the series, Vicky was the main antagonist. But as the series progressed, many more villains were introduced, including Denzel Crocker, Timmy's crazed teacher, who wishes to prove the world that fairies exist. Francis, the school bully. Remy Buxaplenty, a young billionaire child with a fairy godparent named Juandissimo Magnifico, who is set on getting rid of Tommy's fairy godparents due to his immense jealousy towards him for having two fairy godparents compared to his one. Dark Laser, a parody of Darth Vader, who wants to destroy Timmy and the Earth. The Pixies, who are known to wield as much power as fairies, but they treat their magical powers like a business. The Pixies' primary goal is to take control of the fairy world and the Earth. The Anti-Fairies, who are similar to the actual fairies, but with polar opposite personalities and character traits. Anti-Fairies are also known for causing bad luck. And Norm the Genie, who hatches a plan to gain freedom from his lamp and get revenge on Timmy. The Fairly Odd Parents is set in the fictional city of Dimsdale, California. Dimsdale has a sign on some mountains near the city that is a parody of the Hollywood sign. In the episode, Vicky loses her icky. The mayor of Dimsdale unveils the Welcome to Dimsdale, nicest town on earth sign. Upon its premiere, The Fairly Odd Parents was immediately popular and quickly became the second highest rated children's program among kids ages 2 to 11 on both network and cable television behind Nick's own SpongeBob SquarePants. The series managed to briefly steal SpongeBob's spot as the number one highest rated children's television program in mid-2003. The Fairly Odd Parents attracted a wide audience, appealing to kids as well as to teenagers and adults, with 14.2 million kids ages 2 to 11 tuning in each week. 10.8 million adult viewers per week was the number one series among tween audiences. In 2006, it was announced that Nickelodeon had ceased production of the show. It was then that they were going to give next year, they were given more episodes. And after another, after hiatus, they announced that they would begin the sixth season, which would consist of 12 episodes alongside a broadcast of a TV film called Fairly Odd Baby, which introduced a new character, a baby fairy named Puff, to the main cast of characters, a huge hit. Fairly Odd Baby aired in 2008 and garnered 8.89 million viewers for its premiere. The rebroadcast of the film garnered 4.82 million viewers, making it the number one and ninth most viewed cable broadcast, respectively, for the week. The visual and lyrics for the theme song were changed for season 10 in order to include Chloe. However, it still contained the same rhythm and melody as the original theme song. Also, the show's animation made the transition from traditional animation to Flash animation. Betsy Wallace from Common Sense Media gave the series three of five stars saying, and I quote, Nickelodeon airs some of the most creative and expertly animated cartoons on television and it has another winner with the Fairly Odd Parents. Dennis Cass from Slate Magazine favorably compared the series writing to that of Animaniacs and praised the series broad appeal. Some stuff that Butch Hartman said was, and I quote, I wanted to initially do a boy version of Cinderella. I wanted to do a show with magic, so I wouldn't have to worry about coming up with ideas, and sometimes that's the problem. The show just sorts of writes itself, and there is often too much to choose from and too many opportunities. When you make a show like 
fairly your parents for many, many years. You really have to begin to add things to the show to keep the show fresh. I've had a lot of people send angry emails asking me, why did you add Chloe to the show? Or why did you add Sparky? Or why did you add Poof? And as much as I would love to not upset these people, we have to keep the show fresh, mainly because sometimes the network Nickelodeon wants us to add things. So we add things, but we try to add things in a way that makes the show better and not worse. Characters of the show, Timothy Tiberius Turner or Timmy is a 10 year old boy who was given fairly godparents parents to grant his every wish. And as a result of his neglectful parents and abuse from Vicky Cosmo Julius Cosma, and he is known for his dim-witted personality and responsible for inadvertently causing disasters since he was born. Wonder Venus Fairy Winkle Cosma is smart and caring. And unlike Cosmo, she tries to prevent Timmy from wishing for things which can be disastrous, though her attempts often fail. Vicky is the selfish, greedy, sadistic, conniving, malicious, and tyrannical 16-year-old babysitter. Poof Fairy Winkle Cosma is Cosmo Wonder's son. And his magical abilities are controlled by his emotions and channeled through his magic rattle. Mr. and Mrs. Turner, known as Dad and Mum. So Mum is a real estate agent and home dealer. And Dad works as an employee of a pencil factory called Pencil Nexus. Odd parents, fairly odd parents. This is one of the shows that I was watching way too late into my teens. Uh, you know, when you shouldn't be watching cartoons anymore, I was still watching this show. I, I This show was awesome when I was a kid. Slightly, maybe, possibly didn't hold up quite as well as it did when I was a kid. But I mean, yeah, it was... It was I really enjoyed the show. I thought it was it was it was fresh. It was new. It was funny. Yeah, it, it, episodes were short, so yeah, I thought it was ticked all the boxes. Even now, to be honest. Yeah, I'm the same. I was watching this way late into my teens. I do I do like the Animaniacs comparison. Obviously, I don't think it went as deep with the scripting and the jokes and the sharp comedy as Animaniacs did. But I could get a little bit, I did get a little anima, Animaniacs vibes. I did like the jokes on the show. I thought they were very funny. Yeah, this was good. I, I like the theme song. It's very catchy, very memorable. Yeah, this was, this was actually a, 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 a really, really good show, actually, when you, when you think about it and when you kind of put it all together. It ran for a long, long time. I think they had, like, hiccups along the way, but it ended up running for a very 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 long time and i guess there's a reason for that and i think i don't yeah i don't blame butch for uh, trying to switch it up and, and and freshen up the the story yeah some things work some things don't so um you gotta give it a go to find out right yeah absolutely so uh right let's talk about episodes right so i think i watched the first one which was called the big problem and it was kind of they were like so basically i watched two episodes but but both episodes had two episodes inside, so. So the big problem, Cosmo and Wanda wake Timmy up for school. He gets bullied at school. He's the ball in the football. He goes home and everyone's basically calling him a wimp. So uh, mum and dad said that they're going to the movies, but he can't go because he's too little. Yeah, but you, remember they did it in the styles of the pronouns. This was hilarious. When he's like, you, as in the boy, cannot go to the cinema. And they're like using all these pronouns and... I, I thought that was hilarious. No, it, was, it, was, it was great. And then, uh, so basically, this is where you meet Vicky, the babysitter. She's like the evil babysitter. Send him straight to bed. Um, so then he does the classic, done many times in cinema, cartoons, films, everything, or whatever it is. I don't want to be little anymore. 
So he gets big and then it's not quite what he thought. He thought he was going to be this man, help old ladies cross the road, beat up bullies and, you know, be this handsome kind of muscly guy. And then he was like the real old that you get where you're kind of immobile. You lose your hair on your head, but it grows back on your back. Um, you know, and and and, all, and and also he can't wish now because he's old. And one thing I love about failure parents is they always get the rule book out. It's like, mm, I don't know what's that, what it says about yeah. that. I like how everything he does now is creepy because he's an old man. They can't help someone cross the road because it's a bit creepy. Yeah, he got pepper sprayed for helping the old lady cross the road. He goes to the adult movie, but he, then he sees his parents kissing in the movie. He doesn't like shaving because it hurts. Um, he has a, has adult food in the restaurant, but he has to wash up afterwards because he uh, can't afford the bill. And the waiter says, you should have finished college. And he said... You should have finished college. <laughs> and he starts crying and runs off. So Vicky sees that Timmy's gone and she puts a basketball in the bed so the parents don't find out. In the in the morning, Timmy finds a bully and sorts him out. But the police see and he gets um, chased by the police. Wanda and Cosmo get a new assignment because the kid's old and hairy now. Um, and they're like, oh, if you give me $5, you can have two hours extra. Uh, and then it's, if Timmy acts like a kid, then he can grant wishes again. So Vicky's looking everywhere for Timmy. Timmy sees Vicky, gets beaten up by her and then gets arrested. Timmy starts crying for his mum and dad, which makes him act like a kid. Then he wishes he was young. Um, he's, he's, so he's young again now. Uh, he sees Vicky in the police station. Um, then he gets bullied and he loves it. So, and that's the end. So uh, uh, no, he, he, I think he gives a, gives a bully a razor and a shaving foam for his back. Power Mad was the second one. Uh, Timmy, Wanda and Cosmo in an action sequence with carrots and it's basically like a Matrix or in a VR game. Vicky comes in as mad. He says he says to Wanda and uh, Cosmo, make me a scary game. One game that you can't wish yourself out of. And his mates come in whilst he's not there and they go in the game and they can't, they can't, he, Timmy can't reset the game or they'll die in real life and he can't wish them out of the game because he wished for that not to be a feature. So you have to win the game or like, or to kind of just take your helmet off. Wonder and Cosmo have to stop Vicky using the electricity because the game is so big that it's uh, rinsing all the power in the house. Timmy goes in the game and he has, and he has to help them win. Uh, he meets his mates and they, do, but they don't understand the sort of peril they're in. They go to the last level. Vicky is the boss. Um, Timmy loses his last life, but he sacrifices his last life by saving the other two. So he gets a free life. They see the Cosmo coins and they wish for something to stop Vicky, which I thought was really clever. And the parents came in. Uh, they win the game. The friends go home. He gives VR game to Vicky. Right. Next one I watched was Series 7, Episode 5, which was called Flyboy. Scary movie out in fl uh, um, about a fly in 3D. The parents say no. And it was, uh, parents say you can't watch it because it's FTSFTT rated, which is far too scary for Timmy Turner. Cosmo and Wanda make Timmy babysit because they want to see the movie. He wishes he was a fly so he can... He wishes that he's a fly so that he can go watch the movie without getting caught. Uh, so he sits in the, on the lampshade. Dad gets scared watching the movie. Mum spots a fly, tries to smack them. And now, because he's a fly with a human head, there's also a f boy with a fly head, which is what the movie's about. Everyone gets scared. Yeah, his dad gets scared. He, he sees a... Uh, fly head boy and he's kind of rings the news and every, and the police uh timmy can't go anywhere without getting attacked dad sees a fly boy again um this they assemble the swat team which and they come with fly swatters timmy having no luck new say fly is real everyone's going to lynch mob the, the the fly boy timmy goes to sort back to sort it all out he gets stuck in a web cosmo figures out where they are and they manage to get everything back to normal the mob goes 
in and everything's normal. Timmy's not flying anymore. And he pretends to have just been playing around in 3D glasses. Uh, Mum comes in in the face mask and they both get scared. This one's called Temp Fairy. Timmy wishing for things. He's not as good as he thinks. Like everything he's wishing for is not as good as he thinks. Wanda says they've had to baby proof the uh, the wishes because they can be dangerous. If he's unhappy with the fairies and he can ask for a temporary fairy godparent. He gets Jorgen, a massive fairy godfather who's like a like Arnold Schwarzenegger type of character. And he makes him sign a waiver saying it's not his fault if you die. Uh, they do cool stuff. They fly on the moon. They fight a squid on the moon. And they haven't kind of had an awesome time. Then when the, Timmy's ready to go to bed, Jorgen doesn't allow it. And he kind of makes him do lots of intense things. Cosmo rallies a troop to find Timmy. But then Timmy comes back. Timmy wants to sleep. But Jorgen makes a bed of nails. Doesn't let him sleep on it again. And does some more intense things. He wants out. But he's stuck with the contract. He asks Wanda. And she says, you have to wish for something so horrible that Jorgen will give you up. So then he makes Namby Bambi things. Namby Pambi baby things he eventually gives up like he puts him in a cart with a bonnet and makes everyone see and then timmy is happy with his not so exciting exciting life when he gets it all back to normal and that's my failure parents awesome so i then went on to wonder's day off so it's basically wonder appreciation day and timmy gets her a gift and the gift is ba- and you know she gets to have a day off tommy and cosmo keep getting in trouble and wonder has to keep saving them so Wanda's like, you know what? I want to get away from here because it's not really a vacation. So Wanda wants to go to Fairy World Magic Springs Spa. And Tommy wishes it for her. He promised her that he and Cosmo will be good. She's going to the place where they have silly cucumber with the eyes, magic massage. She gets tossed away because she's like the other fairies who didn't get a reservation. Timmy is struggling with the animal assignment he has to do for school. But he doesn't trust Cosmo with the wish. And so... He's like, okay, a cockroach can't do anything wrong. So he wants to know what the cockroach is thinking. And so the cockroach is thinking, world domination. And then there's a magic massage man who sees Wanda. They used to date, so he chooses her. Cockroaches end up building a futuristic and a futuristic civilization within the space of two hours. Wanda senses danger, so she calls Cosmo. Timmy's calling out for help, but then Cosmo is like, um, everything is fine. Don't worry about it. And he's bringing in Martians to try and fight the cockroaches, and they're destroying the Earth. Wanda has enough of her holiday, so she goes back home. She's missing cleaning up after Cosmo and Timmy, and then Wanda sees the damage. Wanda saves the day, and Timmy manages to have an assignment ready, and Wanda sends the cockroaches to the Fairy World Spa. Next episode I watched was Most Wanted Wish. So they're picking teams for football. Tommy gets picked last and he gets picked over the the person who picked ahead of him is the one with no bad teeth and lower middle class. Whereas Tommy, I think, is lower, lower middle class, bad teeth. And so even with in even like with the lab partners, he can't get a partner. He wants to partner up with Trixie, but she gets he gets beaten by a rock. And then Timmy doesn't feel wanted, and even his parents don't want him. So they're going, bingo! And they're like, yes, Tommy, we want you to stay at home while we go to the bingo! <laughs> and so she has to stay with Vicky. So then Timmy wishes he's the most wanted kid in the world. He wakes up and his parents want to sit down with him. The bus crashes into the house and wants to take Tommy to, Timmy to school. Football teams are fighting for Pink Hat and Buckteeth, which is basically Timmy. Trixie wants to work with Timmy, so does everyone else. 
And then I wrote, Timmy is running away like the Beatles in A Hard Day's Night. And they've got like the similar style of music. And he's basically running away from the screaming fangirls. Then Wanda's saying that this is actually your dumbest wish. And he ends up being on top of the FBI wanted list. All the fairies want Timmy, so they have to fight for him. And so one of the fairies is like, we're going to have a Texas cage match. And the last person standing gets to become Timmy's godparents. And so they're all going to Texas. Wanda gets blasted, so it's up to Cosmo to save the day. And he manages to blast the big guy, and so he wins. And he, and then obviously Cosmo's like, uh, The Rock or Timmy? Okay, I'm going to choose Timmy over The Rock. And Timmy learns a lesson that being ignored is better than having the whole world wanting you. And the last one I watched was the finale, which was Fancy Schmancy. And it's basically, he's, it's a three-month friend anniversary with Chloe. And she gets him binoculars so that they can go owl watching. And so they're talking about this singer called Weird Owl. I don't know if it's like a parody of Weird Owl. There's a scene called Weird Owl. Cosmo doesn't like him. And they're listening to a song called Owl I Need is a Miracle. And Dad, he ends up being a centerfold in a rich magazine called Fancy Schmancy. And now Timmy is going to live a schmancy, rich lifestyle. Dad is like, all of a sudden, Chloe can't join in because she lives in a flooded house. And they're like, what are you talking about? You flooded it because you wanted to ride your jet ski on our road. Because obviously he's like, you live in a flooded house. And then Timmy and Chloe are like, because you flooded it at the same time. I think that was <laughs> hilarious. And Chloe's parents don't want her to hang around with a, a snob like Timmy and his family. So Timmy's at the fancy schmancy country club where there's a pool full of mac and cheese. There's a root beer, lazy river, VR of their favorite video game, Hillbilly Road Rage, and you can dip yourself in gold. And Chloe and Timmy miss each other. She's outside the country club. Chloe's trying to get in, but the riffraff, there's a riffraff breach and the country club gets locked down. Dad ends up getting himself dripped in gold and Chloe's looking at owls with... Wanda and Wanda gets really bored and Cosmo is like this weird owl is so annoying he's got he's even got a Christmas album and the song is owl I want for Christmas is my two front teeth and he's like owls don't even have teeth what is that even supposed to mean and then Timmy gives Chloe the gold underwear so she can use that to get money but she wants to give it to charity like her parents then Timmy tries to reach Chloe but her parents cut off the rope Chloe's trying to call Timmy and they're finding a way to unite the two sides. And they find a schmancy riffraff club. And now that's open. The crazy cat lady takes over the club and kicks everybody out. And now Timmy and Chloe can hang out together. And the kids want to learn an important... They want their parents to learn an important lesson. And obviously they're like, we're parents. We're never going to learn the lessons from you kids. And that was the end of Fairly Odd Parents. Yeah, it's pretty good. I can understand why I watched it as a kid. And then... Uh young adult and so now we have to choose between the wild thornberries and the fairly odd parents easy one for me to be honest um so wild thornberries first absolutely every time i thought it was amazing and not because it was bad and we haven't had one of the, well, one of these for a while i think is um it's fairly odd parents second but it, both great shows still they held up pretty well wild thornberries probably held up better than fairly odd parents but yeah still both great shows I'm going to say Wild Thornberries as well, because this show impressed me more than I would have thought it would have impressed me, even like as a kid. 
because obviously, like I said, as a kid, I didn't watch this at all. I didn't get it. I didn't vibe with it. But now that I'm watching it, I look at it and I think, oh man, this is really, really good. You learn so much. This is something that you can watch parents and kids and you're learning so much about animals and conservation and geography and, and, and all of those things at once. It's, it's one of those things where it's a really important lesson that the kids can learn from this. Obviously, you don't want it to be boring educational, but they do kind of like balance the two things and you learn along the way. And that's the most important thing. And I think they do it really, Even really well. Even when they well. show the map of like Africa and, you know, they show you mm. different countries in Africa and things like and that. They're and they're in different countries all the time. And you're learning about all these different countries. You learn about these people and how and they the live. Are inside them as well. Mm. And, they, and they don't offend either. It's not like they're taking the, the mick going, oh, this is people in Africa. They wear spears and they have dresses and whatever. Like they don't do any of that. It's very... It's very, very well done. So you got to give all the credit in the world. And even fairly your parents. They were, it was a really good cartoon. I found it funny, entertaining. Yeah, it was really good. So uh, Agreed, yeah. Yep, and on that note, we shall bring this episode to an end. Yesterday's Capers is available wherever you get your podcast from. We're available on all the podcast platforms. So make sure you have your notifications on so that you can get new episodes as and when they drop. You can find us on the socials at Instagram. It's yesterday's capers one on Twitter. It's yesterday capers, youtube.com forward slash yesterday's capers, facebook.com forward slash yesterday's capers. You can find me on the socials on Instagram. It's Abdullah underscore Molim on Twitter. It's Abdullah Molim, all one word. Give me a holler. Give me a shout and join us next time for another episode of yesterday's capers. <laughs> <laughs>